0: Matthew nine 1 through eight says Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man."
1: I am telling you, it's a great deal in the mystery box. Banana, walnut, honey, that's going to be good. Dana said I could have the whole thing. Mm, It's going to be good. I'll share it with you, sweetie. I will share it with you. Hey, can you believe it? We're in our third week of our new series, Evangelism Without Additives. What if sharing your faith meant being yourself? And we've been talking the last couple of weeks how important it is to recognize that we were created by God for God, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God prepared good works beforehand that we should walk in them. And oftentimes we, we frame our faith in Jesus Christ as a personal relationship, and we think about all the great benefits uh, for ourselves as individuals. But what we don't realize, it's not about God entering our story It's about us entering God's story and the grand narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We've talked about that. It has four parts. It begins with creation. God created the world. He created us. Um, And it was good and it was very good. And Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God and they were fulfilling the purpose to which... He uh, created them. But then the second part of the story is the fall. Sin enters the world and there's brokenness. There's broken relationship, first and foremost, between God and humanity. And that brokenness affects all of creation so that all that God created as good and very good becomes distorted and broken. Right? We live in a broken world. You know that. We talked about that this morning as uh, Pastor Tyler uh, led us in worship. But then the good news, the third part of the grand narrative is redemption. That from the very beginning, God had a plan to bring us into right relationship, to restore us. So that we could be in relationship with Him. And that happens through the work in the ministry of His Son, Jesus Christ. God incarnate who comes into the world, who lives a sinless life and who dies on the cross and sheds His blood that we might have forgiveness of sin and that we might be in right relationship with God. That there no longer is that that barrier. Well, the story doesn't stop there. It continues. You see, now begins the work of restoration. In which God is at work in the world, restoring all things. And we talked about the recreation. There is going to come a time when Jesus returns. We know that. And when He returns, that work of restoration will be complete. And there will be a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And and we will be uh, in communion with God. A part of that holy fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For eternity. And that's gonna be great. But we live in this in between time. This in between time between redemption and restoration. The time of Jesus' first coming and the time that we await to his second coming. And you know what? We are one day closer to Jesus' return than we were yesterday. And I know some of you are saying, Oh, Pastor Todd. You know, generations have have come and gone since the time of Jesus' first coming. And faithful followers have always lived with the expectation of His return. And we're no different. But really, do you you really think, I do. And you know what? There is going to come a day and there's going to be a generation. No one knows the day or the hour. But there are going to be those, just like us, sitting in church, just like this. Maybe this church in our lifetime, maybe not, but it's going to happen. And the trumpet's going to sound, and people are going to look up, and they're going to see Christ in the clouds. Man, and what a day. That, that's going to be a great day for us. Okay? And, and we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, that work of restoration has already begun. And we're a part of that work. That's why our mission is to bring Christ's hope and His healing and His wholeness to our community and to our world. Those of us who are Christ's followers, we get the privilege of proclaiming to all people in all places the rule and reign of God through His Son Jesus Christ. We get to do that. We get to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. And what a privilege that is. Now, when we think about that, we think about the world in which we live. And the part that we play in that grand narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And every single one of us has a part. Now, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to, to sharing the gospel with other people, I acknowledge to you that there are those who have the gift, the spiritual gift of evangelism. And we, we see some of those people, we see how impactful they are, we see how uh, adept they are in, in sharing uh, the story of Christ and of salvation and how just people respond. Right? And uh, those are gifted people. God has given them that specific gift. And they are a blessing to the church. And into the world of people that don't know Jesus yet, okay? But, okay? But, all of us, whether or not we're gifted in evangelism, get to live evangelistically. We have a part All of us do. In the salvation story of others. God working through you and through me to nudge people closer to Jesus. Now, some of that involves kind of tilling hard soil. Sometimes people's hearts are hardened towards the things of the Lord. and The Lord wants to use us in an agricultural metaphor... Um, to till that soil to 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 soften it up, to prepare it, to receive seed, others of us, God calls to sow the seed of the gospel in the hearts of people that have already been prepared by others who have helped till that hard soil of the heart. Then there are others that are that are called to come along and help nurture that, to help it grow to to, to give it fertilizer and water and, and, and to see it, it it break through the soil and it, it begin to bud or, or its first leaves, you know? Some of us get to be a part of that. But but here's the truth. Some plant, some water, but the Scripture says it is God that causes the growth. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Can we say that together? Salvation belongs to the Lord. In fact, we read in John's Gospel that no one, no one, right? Um, No one comes to the Son unless the Father first draws them. And so what I want to do this morning is is say to you, we all have a part in, in this grand narrative And we're all involved in the work of nudging people who don't know Jesus yet closer to Him. Some of us plant, some of us water, but salvation belongs to the Lord, okay? And and it takes the pressure off. It it really does. Um, To know that God is at work in a person's life, and there's a place in which we enter it, and we get to play a part in His work of drawing them into relationship with Himself through His Son. That's good news. All of us get to be a part of that. All of us. All of us get to be a part of that. But we get to be a part of that, not by being someone we're not. Right? Not by pretending we have a gift that we're not gifted with. In the book we're reading, Jim Henderson says, we get to be a part of it just by being ourselves. Just by willing to engage people in relationship and conversation. By hearing their story and, and waiting for an opportunity to tell our story. You see, it's that simple. And so we watch, and we wait, and we look for opportunity. Now, do you remember last week, we talked about two words, lost and missing? I've heard from some of you during the week, and, and you've shared with me how helpful that has been, and helping you to reframe how you see people in the world who are not Christ followers. Henceforth, in this church, I'd like to call them, not people who are lost, but people who don't know Jesus yet. Okay. And, and the difference between the, the words lost and missing have everything to do with how we think about people who don't know Jesus yet and how we feel about people who don't know Jesus yet. And of course, you remember last week, I shared the story about a neighbor, a young teenage girl, who was in trouble. And when Lori and I were aware of that, made aware of that, we had a choice to make. And that choice was, were we going to say, ah, she's lost. Her family's lost. That's what lost people do. Right? Or, were we going to say, no, they're missing They're missing. Missing implies concern. Missing, when you miss something, it conveys affection or love or or value, right? And so do we see people who don't know Jesus yet as lost, or do we see them as missing? And what Henderson says in his book is we need to reframe that to see them as missing, and that changes how we think and how we feel about them. And that has everything to do with our willingness to engage them as we live life right together as a community with Christ in the center and we're committed to our mission of bringing Christ's hope and His healing and His wholeness to our community and to our world. You might recall um, a couple of weeks ago I introduced you to a, a Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper, and he is one who's given credit for this theological construct called sphere sovereignty, and essentially what that means is that in every place in the world, in every part of human existence and endeavor, that God is sovereign, Okay? And part of exerting his sovereignty is when his people live intentionally in those places for him. They are representatives of his kingdom, okay? Of the world and the people he created for himself. And this is what Kuiper says, all right? This is good stuff. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all... No, that's not a typo. Sovereign is capitalized because He is the sovereign. Right? There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Okay? Now I know sometimes... You look at the world in which we live and and, and you see it and you say, wow. I mean, how far can it be from Christ? And, And it just seems like it's gone off the rails. But I have to tell you something there's a greater unseen reality, okay? For God is at work. And God is claiming that which is His, that which He created for Himself. Okay? And Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, looks over every square inch of creation and says, Mine! That's Mine! Okay? And we get to be a part of that work. of going out in the world that belongs to Him. And to reach people that are His. To be a part of that grand narrative and that that time between redemption and restoration. I shared a story probably a couple years ago about a historic event in World War II. It was in the fall of 1940. Uh, It's known as the Blitz for 57 straight nights. And for some of that during the day as well, there was day and night bombing. Uh, The Nazis under Hitler relentlessly bombed England, okay? London and other major cities, especially industrial cities. Over 40,000 people died in those 57 days and nights. Okay? Civilians. And so every day or night when the air raid shelter would go off, the civilians would go into the subway system. And they would stay while the bombing occurred. And they would hear the explosions and the the earth under the ground would shake. And they knew what was going on. And with each blast, they were thinking, is that my home? Is that my place of work? Is someone who I know that's out there still, are they being killed? We met a man on vacation once. His name was Michael. Lori and I did. We were eating at a table. We were seated with them, Michael and his, uh, Judith, his companion. And uh, Michael was a great storyteller, he told the story, he's a taxi driver, by the way, in London. And he told the story, he was a little boy, and during the Blitz, his parents would go into the subway system. And as a little boy, he would sing and he would dance. Uh, Someone would have a violin, or someone would have a guitar, or someone would have another instrument, and they would play the instruments in the subway system, and, and little Michael, as a child, would dance while the bombs were blasting, and, and the people would, would be safe in the subway entertaining themselves while, I mean, the war was going on outside. And Michael told the story how his dad would, would give Michael, he'd take his father's hat and he'd put it out, and people would put coins in it. Because Michael's father had lost his job because it had been destroyed in the bombing. So he'd sing and he'd dance and he'd entertain people in the subways during the Blitz. And Michael says, I still sing and I entertain people driving my my taxi in London. He was quite a character. Remember him, Laurie? Well, most of London was in the subways during the bombings. But Churchill understood something. Churchill understood that people needed hope. They needed hope. They needed to hope that they were going to survive, uh, that they were going to emerge from the subways, and and although life was different, life would go on. And and at the center of that hope was spiritual hope. Uh, Churchill wanted to impress upon the people in word and tangibly, visually, that God would sustain them, that God cared about them, that God loved them, and that as they emerged from the subway, they would know that God was with them, regardless of the devastation in their lives. And so, in the center of London is St. Paul's Cathedral. It was finished in the late 1600s. Okay, Magnificent structure. Place of worship. And from the late 1600s till... 1965, in fact. It was the tallest building in London. Londoners could see it from everywhere. Okay? It was very significant in their daily lives of faith, and their understanding of God. So this is what Churchill did. Churchill asked for volunteers who literally would go up on the dome on the roof of the cathedral during the bombing. And while the bombs were blasting, some actually entered the cathedral and there were, there were men who would go and disarm the live bombs before they exploded and detonated some of them. There were others who on the roof would, would race... with with buckets of water or or sacks of burlap to to try to put out the, the flames before they could catch fire and burn the cathedral down. There's a handful. But this is what he wanted the people of London to see. When they emerged in the morning after a night of bombing and there was smoke and fire and most of the city was destroyed, they wanted... Londoners to be able to look up and see St. Paul's Cathedral. And as they looked upon it, they would have hope and they would know that God was with them. Here's a picture. That's taken World War II. You see the devastation around it? You can see the buildings blown up and the It's magnificent, isn't it? Can you imagine being a Londoner 57 straight nights 40,000 people killed, most of the city destroyed. But morning after morning after morning they would emerge in that is what they saw. You and I have a choice. We talk about nudging people closer to Jesus. We talk about living intentionally in the world for Him. Just by being ourselves. We have a choice we can stay in the subway and we can entertain ourselves while the blitz is going on out there and wait for the signal that says, all clear, it's safe now. Some of us live that way, don't we? If we're honest, we disengage from culture, we disengage from the people around us. We don't want to be involved in our community, even our neighbors. We drive in every morning. The snow in the evening. We drive out, we drive in. The garage door goes up, the garage door goes down, right? And we're disengaged. We're in the subway. We entertain ourselves. While we wait for Jesus to return, the all-clear sign the great siren, the trumpet that will sound someday, And some of us live like that. We're just disengaged. Or we can be like those who are out at the cathedral. Who wanted to assure that the people around them, the people in the community would have hope. Would know who God is. Would know that God's for them. And they did it by living sacrificially, by risking their lives, by climbing the top of that great dome. By being all over that building, Why bombs dropped everywhere. But they wanted to make sure that there was hope for the people. You know, I believe God's called us to be the people that saved the cathedral. That's what He's calling us to be in our culture, in our world. He wants us to get out of the subway and out where we can give hope. Where we can bring Christ's hope and his healing and his wholeness just by engaging people. The four men in the story Matthew 9, 1 through 8. In Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, it gives a more detailed account. But they had a choice to make. They had a friend, a neighbor, maybe a family member. We don't know for sure. But he was paralyzed, Jesus was in town. In fact, Jesus was teaching in a house that was so crowded, people had packed inside. People were coming out the doorway, and they knew that this man needed Jesus. And God had prompted them to nudge him closer to Jesus and let Jesus do what Jesus does in a person's life to bring hope, healing, and wholeness. But their part was just to help get him there. That's our part in the world. To help get people there. To help people who don't know Jesus yet, just to nudge them closer and closer, to get them into His presence, where He can do His work. We get to be a part of that. That story. That narrative. Here's the question. How do you respond to the missing? Would you put that slide up, Wendy? How do you respond to the missing? There's a variety of ways. We can be happy with the status quo. That's living in the subway. I'm okay. I got me and mine. Doesn't matter what's going on out there. We're safe in here. Right? Someday Jesus is going to come and make it all better. And I'm just waiting for the trumpet, the all-clear sign. Or, we kind of know about people. We kind of know what's going on in their lives. We, we hear the neighbors fighting. We, we see a, a, a co-worker who's depressed. Or someone on the baseball or the, the hockey arena who's, who's been pushed aside as an outsider. Someone that's struggling. We, we kind of know, but we don't think much about it. We just go about our our daily life. Or a third way we respond is you know and you do nothing. You're fully aware of the opportunities, but you don't do anything. You're too busy. You're afraid. You feel inadequate. You don't have time. Maybe you're just indifferent, OK. And then worst of all and I have to confess this to you, and can we be honest and confess it to one another? Can we? You know and you don't care. How we live our life demonstrates our priorities. It doesn't matter what we say we care about. It's how we live how we live. And my life sometimes and yours too demonstrates that we know, but we just don't care. For whatever reason that is. Ouch, that's hard. I'm sorry, but I'm pointing the finger to myself too. That's all of us at times, isn't it? Can we be honest? Or, like the men who helped bring their paralyzed friend into the presence of Jesus? You know, we know, and we respond to the opportunities. There's three things we can do. And these three things are in his book, the book we're reading. Number one, just be yourself. God created you, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He created you with a purpose not to live in the bomb shelter but to be out in the battle, giving people hope. That's what He created you for. Be yourself. Be real. Be authentic. Don't be the church lady. Right? Or the super spiritual church guy. That may fly in here, but it doesn't work out there. Ooh, sorry. Sorry be real be honest and then finally be intentional be intentional you know as i think about those those four men they had to be intentional in order to help bring their friend to jesus there's four things that we see number 1 we see sympathy there was sympathy they cared At some degree, they felt the pain and the isolation of their friend, of his disability. The second thing, there was cooperation. They worked together. That's what we're called to do as a church, to work together. Jesus sent them out two by two, right? We're called to work together in the world to bring His hope, healing and wholeness. And then, in order to get their friend, into the presence of Jesus, there was great originality. There was creativity. They had to tear the roof apart and they had to lower him in right in front of Jesus. They had to interrupt the church meeting for something really important. (laughs) To bring someone who didn't know Jesus yet into Jesus' presence. Can you imagine that? That we would interrupt a church meeting for that. And then finally, They were persistent. You and I are called to be persistent. We need to, to see the world around us. We need to recognize the opportunity. We need to feel for those who don't know Jesus yet. We really do. We need to hurt. We need to miss them enough to go out, to cooperate together, to be creative and original and do whatever we have to do to nudge people closer to Jesus by being yourself, by being real, and by being attentional. And we're called to be persistent. In the end, here's the question that each of us has to answer. Are we going to live our lives in the spiritual subway Entertaining ourselves with the things of the Lord until He returns? Or are we going to help people see a picture of God? A picture that stands beyond the despair and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the selfishness and all the things, the injustices in the world. Are we going to help create an image and a picture of possibility of a relationship with God who brings hope and healing and wholeness. Are we going to be a part of that work? Are we going to look and turn away? Are we going to see opportunity and engage? That's what He's calling us to do. By being yourself. By being real. And by being intentional. If you do those things, I promise you that God will do the rest. Now, you say, how are we going to do that? Next several weeks, we're going to talk specifically how you can do that by being yourself, by being real and by being intentional. May we be counted among those that when people emerge from whatever they're doing or wherever they're at in life, they see Christ's hope. They see His healing. They see His wholeness. And they know it's for them. Amen? Amen. Let's continue in worship. So, worship team comes forward, I want to pray for us. Father, we thank You for the opportunity that You've given us to be a part of a great work. Uh, that's Your work, Father, of redemption and restoration. Father, would You open our eyes? Would You prompt us in our heart to see people not as lost, but is missing. And Lord, would You draw us to them, whether it be in our our families, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our community. Father, help us to see and help us to engage. And Father, once we're there, once we show up, once we determine not to live life in the bomb shelter, (laughs) Lord, empower and equip us through Your Holy Spirit And Father, we want to just see you do your work. But we're willing to help nudge people towards Jesus. God help us. And God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.